Is this going to... It's working. <laughs> hey, is it humid enough for you this morning? Goodness me. <laughs> uh, welcome to St Matthew's this morning. It's great to see you. Uh, Psalm 95 begins this way. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. We're going to do that as we sing our first hymn. Please stand and sing.
I will welcome again, very warm welcome to you if you're a guest with us at St Matthew's. Uh, we're glad to have you here with, amongst us. My name is Andrew, I'm one of the ministers here. We've got a great service uh, that we're looking together, uh, to, to, um, we're looking forward to this morning and we trust that you'll find it both enjoyable and really worthwhile for yourself. Uh, but welcome if you're new with us. Uh, today, what, one of the things that we're looking forward to is wrapping up this little series we've had since um, most of Christmas, as we've been listening to God's word in the book of Esther, uh, a book about the God who is unseen but not absent. And uh, we're going to, as, as we wrap up, see the extraordinary way in which, in an invisible way, God brought a great victory for his people, a great delivery from great danger, uh, in a way that uh, points forward to what he would do uh, many years after the story of Esther and Mordecai and the others uh, in the coming of the Lord Jesus. Bruce has actually called the talk today uh, the gospel according to Esther. Uh, so that's something to be, be really looking forward to this morning. As well as that and singing again, uh, we have the privilege of coming to God in prayer. And so as, uh, as we get underway, we're going to pray firstly a prayer of preparation and then a prayer of confession, and we're going to follow that with a reading of a psalm, which really is a prayer of praise. And I'll say more about that when we get to it. But you'll need a Bible, and I say that especially for those of you who are at home online. Make sure you've got a Bible if there's not one right next to you uh, for when we read Psalm 124 together. But I invite you now to just take a moment to prepare yourself as we come before Almighty God in prayer. So together, Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. And now a prayer of confession of our sin. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have gone our own way, not loving you as we ought, nor loving our neighbour as ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word and deed, and in what we have failed to do. We deserve your condemnation. Father, forgive us. Help us to love you and our neighbour, and to live for your honour and glory, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The scriptures explain beautifully that God is slow to anger and full of compassion. He forgives all who humbly repent and turn to his son Jesus Christ, in whom there is no condemnation. We've now got a chance to turn to Psalm 124, which is on page 616. You'll need to lean forward and take hold of one of the Bibles that you'll find on the little shelf underneath the seat in front of you. Psalm 124, which could have been written by the people of Esther's day after God rescued them, but it was in fact written by King David. It's a familiar theme in the Bible, this theme of God's rescue and the celebration of his people at the wonder of what he's done and at how without God's help, we are lost completely. 
So would you, I'm going to read this psalm for you to familiarise you with it, and then I'll invite you to join me as we read it again. Psalm 124, a song of ascents of David. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us, they would have swallowed us alive. When their anger flared against us, the flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Of course, the great danger that we face, the dangers we face are against sin, Satan and death. But through the Lord Jesus, we are rescued. So please join me as we say one, uh, Psalm 124 together. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us, they would have swallowed us alive. When their anger fled against us, the flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Amen. In a moment, Deb is going to come and lead us in further prayers, as well as leading us in praying the Lord's Prayer. But firstly, just to bring you up to date with a few things happening around St. Matthew's. The first is, is simply to say, as, as we often do, how helpful this little connection card is that you'll find in front of you. Communication in a, in a large church like ours is really important. And uh, if, if there is a particular need that you have or that someone you're aware of has, with their permission, please uh, let us know. You could use that, the QR code and all that kind of thing. And if you're new or visiting with us, we'd love to know that you've been here. And it would be lovely if you could just drop us a line on that. Please feel free to take the, the little uh, Connect card that you'll find in front of you home with you when you could do that later. Uh, the second thing to mention is, as we've been saying over the last couple of weeks, the next round of the Alpha course begins on the 14th of February, so just over two weeks on a Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock. And this is for you if, if you're wanting to explore the, the Christian faith, if you're looking for a place to explore with others some of the big questions of life, and in particular the difference that knowing Jesus Christ can make. And we've got a great team ready uh, to put on a meal each evening uh, and to serve those of us who come together. It'll be the kind of place where you'll be very free to raise whatever questions that you may have. Uh, there'll be no pressure on you, though, to say anything uh, in the discussion, certainly not to lead in prayer or anything like that. But one person after another has said in the past what a help it's been for them in, in having a place where they can talk about things that really matter and hear what a difference that Jesus makes uh, so, again, could you let us know via the Connect card if you're planning or hoping to come? And coming on the, the first evening really is a chance to, to taste what's to come. And you might decide, well, actually, this is not for me at this stage of my life. 
Um, and we, we won't uh, harass you after that and try and get you to come again. We're really hoping, though, that, that so many who come will find, as, as others have in the past, uh, what a wonderful um, uh, prospect there is in that course. Something else to remind you of, Bruce wrote about this in the, um, the email, which, by the way, if you don't get Bruce's e um, weekly email, just let us know, again, using the Connect card, and we'll put you on the circulation list. But we've got the prayer and fasting week uh, beginning tomorrow. Our opportunity as the fellowship of God's people to seek him earnestly as we pre prepare for a year of serving him here in Manly. Uh, that will mean all kinds of things. Um, it'll mean that uh, from this evening, I think it is, you'll get an email from Bruce, and that'll happen daily up till Friday, um, with prayer points for each day, for your personal prayers. There are also a number of prayer meetings happening here at the church through the course of the week. Uh, each day, Monday to Friday, one beginning at 7 through till 8, and the other beginning at 12.30, going through till 1.30. It'd be wonderful if you're able to come and join us for one or quite a few of them. Uh, that's morning and lunchtime prayers, Monday to Friday. And then there are a, a number of other special prayer meetings with a, a particular focus. And tomorrow evening is one that I think it may have been the first time we ran last year or, or, or for some time. But it's an opportunity for pray f to pray for family members who are not walking with the Lord. So a spouse, a child, a sibling, an uncle, a loved one. Uh, so that'll be here tomorrow night, beginning at 8 o'clock, just a neat hour of prayer together. On Wednesday evening, beginning at 7.45, we have a prayer and praise night, uh, particularly giving us an opportunity to, pray, uh, to lift up our, our, our voices in praise of God, and the music there will be led by our music director, Dave Nduimana. And then on Saturday morning, uh, Deb, who will be leading us in prayer, and Suzanne, our women's ministers here, invite the women of the church to come along again to a neat hour of prayer, beginning at 8, going through till 9, with coffee and chat beforehand, if you'd like, uh, where there'll be prayer for our world, for our city, uh, for big things like that, and that's something to look forward to. So we trust that, that each of you can find a way in which this is a particular week of devotion in prayer and fasting as the week unfolds. I invite Deb to come and join us, uh, come and lead us in prayer now. Thanks, Deb. Good morning. I hope to see some of you on Saturday morning. It's a lovely morning. Come a bit early for a cup of tea, ladies. It's lovely. We're gonna have a time of prayer together and I hope on YouTube out there that you're able to settle in and join us for prayer because your prayers there are just as powerful as our prayers here. He's listening wherever we are. Let's pray together. We thank you, Lord, for your love, a love that came for us. We thank you for your faithfulness that none can deny that through the storm and fires of life that you are the truth that sets us free. We come now in our gratitude with those storms and fires. Psalm 147 tells us that you delight in those who fear you, who put their hope in your unfailing love. Our hope in our storms and fires and the storms and fires of the world is in your unfailing love. We pray for the world as we consider the world, a glance at the news brings us the same headings headlines of protest and unrest and suffering. The war in Ukraine reaches its 334th day. 
and under it all, people go about their lives as best they can. How can we trust anyone but you in your unfailing love with so much? We particularly pray for believers and aid agencies working to bring hope and relief, that you would fill them with your spirit and touch lives not only with love and hope, but with real tangible relief. You are greater, you are stronger, your love is unfailing. We pray for David Fashon, mobilising missionaries through SIM, that he would have, give us effective support to the new mission workers to be equipped with the good news of Jesus wherever they serve, that you would provide the resources needed for the pastoral visits to established missionaries in Chile, Peru and Ecuador, countries with huge problems that aren't often on our radar. And we pray for the national training event that will be run in the Hunter Valley in March in 2023, enabling people to be trained and lifted up and used in the storms and fires of people's lives. We trust you in your unfailing love. We thank you for the opportunity this week for a week of prayer and fasting together. Enable each of us to engage deeply with you in private, as well as at the special meetings in the week ahead. May our encounters with you be humble expressions of our dependence on you as we prepare to serve you together this year. You are our God and we trust you in your unfailing love. We thank you for the safety of all who attended the youth summer camp this week, for your word that went out through Josh Haywood as he spoke on Ecclesiastes, and that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that word would go deeply into the hearts of all that heard it. Thank you for the friendships and encouragement across all the age groups and for the role modeling of the older to the younger. Might that continue under your direction. And Lord, we pray that you would replenish Stuart and Jamie and the rest of the leadership team as they rest and recover and probably start preparing for next year. As school, university and life starts again, Keep them safe in your hands. You are our living hope. We thank you, Lord, for the healing that Trish Appleby's grandson, Joel, has received, that he's returned home after successful open-heart surgery. And we pray for his continued healing and good health and for his family as they support each other. We thank you for the swift treatment Jean Coulter received last week and for her recovery. Thank you for her, for her love and commitment to you and for all those that have gathered around to support her. And we take a moment now for those on our hearts and minds to pray silently as we lift them before you through their fires and storms. Lord, we trust in your unfailing love. Almighty God, we thank you for the gift of your word. May it be a lantern to our feet, a light to our path. As we hear from it today, we pray, Lord, that it would bless us, especially if we're in times when it does feel that God is distant. We know, Lord, he never takes a break in our lives or the lives of others. Take us and use us to love and serve all people in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. 
and we're going to have the Lord's Prayer together. I'm sorry, I just saw Andrew's look. Let's uh, stand and say this together. I was listening to a devotional this morning that ta talked about how God supplies our daily needs and sometimes we want him to supply everything all at once. Just bop a miracle on me. But today we're going to say, Lord, I'm going to take each day as it comes, glorifying you. Let's say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We're going to sing together now. So please stay standing. Good morning, uh, friends. Our uh, 
Bible reading can be found on page 497 of our church Bibles, page 497, and I'll be reading Esther, chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. That same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came into the presence of the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. The king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from Haman, and presented it to Mordecai, and Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. Esther again pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. She begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman the Agagite, which he had devised against the Jews. Then the king extended the royal scepter to Esther, and she arose and stood before him. If it pleases the king, she said, and if he regards me with favour, and thinks it the right thing to do, and if he is pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? King Xerxes replied, to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew. Because Haman attacked the Jews, I have been given his estate to Esther, and they have impaled him on the pole he set up. Now write another decree to the king's name on behalf of the Jews, as seems best to you, and seal it with the king's signet ring, for no document written in the king's name and sealed with his ring can be revoked. At once the royal secretaries were summoned on the 23rd day of the third month, the month of Sivan. They wrote out all Mordecai's orders to the Jews and to the satraps, governors and nobles of the 127 provinces, stretching from India to Kush. These orders were written in the script of each province and the language of each people and also to the Jews in their own script and language. Mordecai wrote, in the name of the king Xerxes, sealed the dispatches with the king's signet brin and set them by mounted couriers who rode fast horses, especially bred for the king. The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves to destroy, kill, and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and children and to plunder the property of their enemies. The day appointed for the Jews to do this in all the provinces of King Xerxes was the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality 
so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. The couriers riding the royal horses went out, spurred on by the king's command, and the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa. When Mordecai left the king's presence, he was wearing royal garments of blue and white, a large crown of gold, and a purple robe of linen. And the city of Susa held a joyful celebration. For the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor in every province and in every city to which the edict of the king came. There was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebrating. And many of the other people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Is it hot enough for you? It's never a good look when you uh, look at the car thermometer and it's 24 degrees at 7am in the morning outside. Anyway, that's what it is today. But uh, we are here and we're going to have a great time, I'm sure. Um, as I start, I do want to ask a question. Uh, if I can get the slides up. Thanks, Michael. Um, we are going through Esther. And I've called this morning the Gospel According to Esther. And I want to start with the question, how joyful are you in knowing Jesus Christ? And you might be feeling less joyful this morning just because of the sweltering humidity and heat. And that's completely understandable. Um, it's not the kind of energy-inducing um, uh, environment that we're in today. But nonetheless, it's worth reflecting on what joy do we have in Christ? And I ask that because as you read through the New Testament and the story of Jesus Christ and then the growth of the gospel with the early church... Uh, one of the characteristics that indelibly marks the people of God that is so striking is their joy. And I was just reading this morning uh, a verse from Romans 15, verse 13, and Paul is saying, may we be filled with joy and hope, which comes from the gospel, and may it be overflowing in us. And when the early church heard the good news of the gospel and responded with faith and repentance, uh, repentance they were happy and had a joy in knowing God. And it was a joy that transcended circumstances. It was a joy that transcended the means that they had. Uh, no matter what God's people did or didn't have, they had a joy in life through knowing and serving Jesus. And today as we come to this intriguing story, it also finishes on a note of great joy. And so I want us to be leaving here on a note of great joy. So let's... Pray, Father, as we come to this intriguing story and finish these final chapters, fill us with joy at the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and the rescue he has brought us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you've just arrived back from holidays or you've just turned up here and you've not been here the last three weeks, we've been going through this intriguing book, as Andrew said, called Esther. Uh, it's in the Old Testament. And it's an unlikely story of an improbable heroine and her trusty offsider and uncle, 
Mordecai. So Esther and Mordecai have been the two heroes of the story from a human point of view. And together through the story, they've been used by God to rescue the people of God, the Jewish people, from total destruction at the hands of the evil Haman in the time of King Xerxes in the Persian Empire. And the intriguing thing we've observed in the book is this, though God is not formally referred to throughout the entire narrative, um, he is also always present by his actions to providentially work for the good of God's people. And so what we've seen is, though God is not seen, and it is intriguing that he's not mentioned at all in this uh, book of the Old Testament, he is not absent, he's absolutely at work. But we've also seen, as we've gone through the book of Esther, that you see the whispers of the gospel message, that it looks forward to a greater day of rescue. And it looks forward to another improbable saviour, the man Jesus Christ. And so this morning as we go through, we're going to finish the last three chapters. David's very helpfully read chapter 8. We're going to look at chapter 9 and also chapter 10, which is a short one. And I've got three things to look at as we think about the gospel according to Esker. Rescue announced, rescue accomplished, and rescue remembered. And so that's the journey we're on. And I'll try and be slightly shorter than normal, uh, though we have got a bit of material to cover. So let's think firstly about rescue announced. And we're going to look at the material David read to us. Uh, and in particular, chapter 8, verses 3 to 17. If you've got your Bibles open, we're going to be going through the whole lot. So keep them open uh, and look with me. But a recap from last week is worth doing. Uh, three things to note. Esther and Mordecai, the faithful Jews, they have been saved. That was absolutely in danger. Haman, the anti-Semitic antagonist of the story, has been judged and impaled. He is dead. And all would seem to be happily ever after when we finished the reading last week. We're all cheering, weren't we? The good guys won, the bad guys have been judged. But that's not the case because there was an edict to kill the Jewish people that remained in place that Haman had established in chapter 3. And in the culture of the day, there was a thing called the practice of the law of the Medes and the Persians. And whenever a king issued an edict, it couldn't be undone. And so the edict had been issued for the Jewish people to be destroyed on a certain day. And that day had been drawn by Lot, and it had been announced, and it was still in place. And what was also still in place, as we will see, is that there were many people who wanted to act on that edict. And so while Haman was dead... There were many others who thought, well, we are still going to rid the land of these Jewish people. And so the burning question as we come to the end of the story of Esther is, what will be the outcome? Esther, she's okay. Haman, she's okay. he's okay. But the rest of the Jewish people, are they going to be okay? And so we've picked up the story at chapter 8, verse 3. Esther goes in and again pleads with the king, reading from verse 3, falling at his feet and weeping. She begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman the Agagite, which he devised against the Jew. Then the king extended the gold scepter to Esther, and she arose and stood before him. She again is this courageous woman. Those actions of coming in unannounced could have led to her death, but no, there is a gracious response from the king. And because the law of the Medes and Persians couldn't be revoked, what King Xerxes done here is to allow a second decree to be enacted 
which in a sense will neutralise the first. And so we read in verse 8, King Xerxes says this, Now write another decree in the king's name in behalf of the Jews as seems best to you. So Xerxes gets free reign, sorry, Esther gets free reign. And he says, seal it with the king's signet ring, for no document written in the king's name and sealed with his ring can be revoked. And this is the whole culture and practice of the law of the Medes and the Persians. The edict is written down and it's sent out, as we heard, to 127 provinces of the Persian Empire. And it was a vast empire. And it was not just sent out, it was read out and so it is enacted. And what we get here is verse 11, the king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves to destroy and kill and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and children and to plunder the property of their enemies. And so you've got basically two edicts in play. For those who wanted to kill the Jews, they had an edict that allowed them to do that. But now there is a second edict which says to the Jewish people, well, you can take up arms and you can defend yourselves against those who might attack you. Well, what happens? Well, verse 15, this was the response of the people first. When Mordecai left the king's presence, he was wearing royal garments of blue and white, a large crown of gold and a purple robe of fine linen. And the city of Susa held a joyful celebration. And so what is very obvious to the people is that Mordecai is now the favoured one. And he is effectively the second in charge of the Persian Empire. And so because of that, amongst a whole swathe of people, there is now a fear of the Jewish people and a respect for them. For the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honour. They have now been elevated in the kingdom. And so what we read is quite remarkable. In every province and in every city to which the edict of the king came, there was a joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebrating. And so they're now rejoicing. You see, they know now the king is on their side. They also know now that um, Mordecai, their leader, is on the throne as second in charge. And there is great joy. And here's the remarkable thing. We read at the end of verse 17, and many people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. Now, this ending is stunning and it marks a complete reversal of events. Formerly, the Persians despised the Jewish people. But because of this new announcement, they're now wanting to become part of the Jewish people. And there is this great sense of joy in the Jews. Now, we don't know exactly what it meant for the Persians to become Jewish people. Did the men get circumcised? Well, we don't know. Was it just a political alignment? We don't know. But what we do know is that there is a fulfilment in part of the Abrahamic covenant and the promises that were given to Abraham way back at the beginning of the Old Testament that the Jews would be a blessing to the world and that there would be a, a nation that blessed the world. And you think about what happens when Moses, in a sense, under God, commissions the people of God as they exit Egypt. 
you will be a priestly nation. And through them, they will shed the light of the knowledge of God to the world. And you see this taking place in a small way here in the book of Esther. The Jewish people are a light to the nation and their leader and ruler, Queen Esther and Mordecai, are a blessing and the peoples of the empire are coming to them. And it's a great reminder of what we will see with the decree of the gospel that announces the victory in Christ. So this announcement, this decree, brings blessing to the Jews and it foreshadows the great announcement the great decree of victory in Christ, which is the gospel. And this decree went out to 127 provinces, but the decree of the gospel, we know, where does it go? To the whole world, to every nation, tribe and language. And I was reading some statistics about how the decree of the gospel, as it goes out to the world, the impact it's currently having today. And it's fascinating, according to World Christian Encyclopedia, approximately 2.7 million people convert to become Christians from other religions every year. It's roughly every day 7,400 people are changing their religion to follow Jesus Christ across the world. And what's interesting is the Christian faith leads the way in terms of the highest number of people who are turning to its leader, which is Jesus Christ. And the victory of the gospel is being announced all around the world, that there is a God who loves them, who has come for them, and is calling all peoples to come to him and receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And that is why we support missions. Uh, we want to be doing our mission well here in Manly, but we absolutely want to be supporting mission all over the country and all around the world because this decree is a global decree. It's not just for us here. And the wonderful news is, it's having enormous impact. Well, that's the first thing you see here, rescue announced. The second thing is rescue accomplished. And as we look at this second point, and we haven't read this chapter, and perhaps because it's so bloodthirsty, but I am gonna read some excerpts from it. Um, I was talking to someone last night, they said they, thought they would re finish reading Esther. And he just looked at me and said, it's quite confronting. <laughs> and if you haven't read chapter 9, it is confronting. And there's no getting around the violence that you encounter here. Here are the opening verses that set the scene. If you've got your Bibles, read along with me, chapter 9, verse 1. On the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. And so in other words, the date clicked over, those who hated the Jews could kill them and the Jews could defend themselves. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them. But now the tables were turned and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities, in all the provinces of King Xerxes, to attack those determined to destroy them. No one could stand against them because the people of all the other nationalities were afraid of them. And all the nobles of the provinces, the satraps, the governors and the king's administrators helped the Jews because fear of Mordecai had seized them. 
Mordecai was prominent in the palace. His reputation spread throughout the provinces and he became more and more powerful. And what we see playing out is the complete reversal of the wholesale destruction of the Jewish people that the evil Haman had planned. And it's worth saying, as modern thinkers, because of the level of violence that takes place and is recorded in chapter 9, I think we will find it difficult and distasteful. And let me say, it is confronting to read. I was reading it this week, and it is confronting. And here's a summary of what takes place in the chapter. The date for the first edict that permitted the destruction ticks over, and it's open season on killing the Jewish people. But because of the second edict, King Xerxes passed, the Jews are allowed to defend themselves. But because of Mordecai's rise to power, large sections of the empire are afraid of Mordecai and the Jewish people, though not all of them. There still remained a significant minority who wanted to wipe them out and were prepared to do that. And what is stunning is chapter 9 verse 1 and verse 5 records that these people hated the Jews. And so what resulted was the Jewish people taking up arms to defend themselves and it literally is a civil war of sorts that takes place in the Persian Empire. And the Jews are defending themselves and they literally killed their enemies and literally thousands of them across all 127 provinces. And they also killed off the family members of the antagonist, Haman, and King Xerxes, it's worth saying, supported the actions. But the other thing to note is, even though the king had given permission for the Jewish people to take the plunder from those that they had killed, the Jewish people declined or refused to do that. And so here's a few reflections from me on this chapter. The first one. In all the bloodshed that takes place in chapter 9, do you know what the narrator expects us to be doing? Not what we are doing as modern people, being abhorred by the violence. The narrator who wrote this expects us to be cheering. And you might struggle with that. But the story of Esther is about the people of God living under an unjust sentence of death due to anti-Semitism who are rescued miraculously by God's sovereign plan using Esther and Mordecai. And the reason we cheer is because God has enabled them to survive. And what takes place is self-defense. Those killed are the attackers of the Jews. And it's worth saying the history of modern warfare is the same. Attackers need to be defended against. Just think about the current world situation that we're currently experiencing. Think about Europe and think about the Ukraine. Do the Ukrainians need to defend themselves against the Russians? I would think there would be almost a universal agreement amongst us today that that is right. Has it led to bloodshed and Russians being killed? Absolutely. Is it difficult and distasteful to us? Yes, at one level. 
But at a profound level, are we cheering on the Ukrainians? Yes, we are. We don't want countries to be bullies and just think they can take over and kill other people. And so there's a right sense that we are supporting as a country the nation of Ukraine to thwart the evil of what's taking place there. And that's exactly what is taking place here with Esther and the Jews against those who wanted to destroy them. Some might ask, why didn't they take prisoners? Well, it's worth saying, in that day and age, it was almost impossible to do that. There's 75,000 who get killed. A, they didn't have the facilities for it, and B, King Xerxes, who would have to manage it, really didn't want to. He would just say, kill them, take their heads off. And thirdly, the Jewish people do not take plunder. And it's very important to observe this. Although they had the king's authority to, they refused to do it. And three times the enemies of God's people were killed. Three times there's opportunity for personal gain. Three times they resist. And it's telling. Because it shows you that what they were doing was not about vengeance. It was not about an outworking of anger. It was rather, it was a self-defense against an enemy that was seeking to destroy them. And you could say they were the agents of God's judgment aiming to, who were being used to protect God's people. Now, here's the profound thing. When you come to the New Testament, there is also a killing. And the incredible thing about the rescue of God's people, which is really the culmination of all of the Old Testament stories, is that it comes through a death the death of God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is killed. But the profound thing is, he was innocent, unlike those who were seeking to kill the Jewish people in Esther's day. The Lord Jesus dies innocent in the place of the guilty, in our place, so that we don't have to face God's judgment and eternal death. And he dies for our sins and our rebellions and he offers us forgiveness and grace in exchange. And it's incredible. And just like the Jews cheered, and they literally did at their rescue, we should cheer at the news of what Christ has done for us. And that's why the people of God, historically, have always been marked with a deep sense of joy, regardless of circumstance or means. And the early church really had very little because of the opposition and persecution they faced. But yet the one thing they couldn't take away from them was Christ and the joy that they had in him. As I was writing this, I thought, do we realise when we sing what we're doing? We are declaring, hopefully, with our hearts, the joy we have in Christ and the knowledge that he loves us and his son has died for us and that in Christ we have the victory. It should fill our hearts 
and our voices with joy. Well, that is rescue accomplished. It was done in a brutal way back then, but it speaks of an incredibly brutal salvation that was done for us. And it foreshadows what Christ has done on the cross. But lastly, rescue remembered. The story finishes this way. Verse 20 of chapter 9, Mordecai recorded these events. And he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote them to observe the day as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. It's very important to see how the story finishes. A festival of remembrance is inaugurated that would be called the Festival of Purim or Lots and that takes its name after the fact that Haman, when he chose the day for the destruction of the Jewish people, cast a lot for what the day would be. And so they name it that day, Purim or Lot, to remind themselves of how God had rescued them. And what's fascinating um, is today Jewish people will stop every year. And this year, it's on Monday night, March the 6th. It continues through Tuesday, the 7th of March. And they will commemorate the Festival of Lots. And if you go to a Jewish remembrance of the Festival of Lots, they will literally get out the Book of Esther. Now, do you know what they'll get the kids to do? And I heard this from two different people last week because uh, I was so inspired after 8 o'clock, I actually got everyone to join in at 10 and 5 and cheer and boo. Cheer for Esther and, Haman, uh, Esther and Mordecai and boo Haman whenever we had him mentioned. And what I was told is when they recount the story today, do you know what they do? They cheer and they boo. And one person told me that when uh, they read the name Haman, they give out clackers to the kids. And whenever the name is Haman is mentioned, they have to clacker so loud that you can't hear his name. They're audibly wiping him out. And it's a remembrance of joy. Now, the fascinating thing is, what were they to do? As they remembered, they were to give gifts of presents to each other, but also to the poor. And it's quite profound because, in other words, they were to be a people who overflowed with love and thanksgiving and grace, not vindictiveness towards their enemies. And that's exactly what we see in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How are we to respond to the knowledge of what God has done for us in Christ by caring for each other, and those in need and by continuing to announce the victory and being gracious as we have received grace and mercy in our own lives. And this festival of remembrance that was instituted in Esther, you can't help seeing that it foreshadows a meal of remembrance that is so intimately tied up with the gospel, the Lord's Supper. And we don't celebrate this festival, we don't need to, because there is a greater meal of remembrance that we celebrate that this foreshadows, which is the Lord's Supper. 
And we remember the great victory that came in Christ. And you think of the words of the Lord Jesus. And let me read to you from Matthew 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread when he'd given thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples. Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And what's remarkable for me, do this and remember. And in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul quotes those words and says, whenever we eat this bread and we drink this cup, what we are doing is proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And the Lord gave us a symbolic meal, which we enact, and ironically, it's not this week, it's last week, it's next week, so we're not celebrating the Lord's Supper today. But it's done so we will never forget. Do this in remembrance. And what is it that God wants us to remember most? What he's done for us in Christ. The victory that is there at the cross and in the resurrection. And that one day he will return and bring salvation for all those waiting for him. And we live between the announcement of the victory and the victory being completed. And in this period of waiting, what are we to do? We are to serve, but we're also to rejoice. But we must never forget what Christ has done. And he is our joy. And you see, these Jewish people in Esther, the story finishes with a great note of joy. But it looks forward to the greater joy that we have in Christ and the victory we have in him. And so let me finish with the words from 1 Peter, which I love. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the victory that we have in Christ. We thank you that this book reminds us that even though you are not seen, you are definitely not absent. And we glory at the way it foreshadows the great victory that we have in Christ. And may you fill our lives with joy in him. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. And let me just say, may it be with great joy.
Please take a seat. Uh, we're all but done. Uh, morning tea is ready for us on the other side of the courtyard in the function room. For guests, please join us. We'd love to uh, share in a cuppa with you. Uh, but uh, as, we, as we wrap up today, um, I've got a, a word of encouragement for you. Bruce has already read this for us from Romans 15. But as we prepare for a week in which we're seeking to serve the Lord and, and, and come before the Lord in prayer and fasting, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
it's unwell. Wherever he is, I hope he's okay. No, I am doing this afternoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just last time Gary was away, so I said him I can do it in the morning, but I have no one to look after the kids at night. But yeah, I'm doing it full day. All under control. No worries. Do you know where there's an actual music stand? 